Hello? I'll be reading uh, today's scripture, which is Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 to 13. I will be reading from the ESV version, but if you are following along, you are welcome to read from whatever version you are using. So uh, let me read uh, Daniel chapter 12. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was, writ, who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand towards the heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it will be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things will be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O oh Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel. For the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. But the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise shall understand. And from that time, the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up. There shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who arrives at the 1,335th day. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. This is the reading of God's word. Thank you, Richard. Well, this last week was quite a week. Um, historic things happened. One being, uh, you may be thinking of the election, but even before the election, do you remember what happened? The largest Powerball lottery in our history 
as a country, $2.04 billion, and only one ticket, one. Amazing. Now, what kind of luck is that? What do you you think about that? If you were the ticket, well, I know you weren't because it was somebody living in Southern California, and we saw the guy who owns the store, he got a million dollars, but nobody's come forward yet. Isn't that crazy? Is that lucky? Nobody's come forward. Well, luck had nothing to do with it, right? No luck at all, because everything that happens in life, there's no luck. There's no bad luck or good luck or anything else. It's all according to God's plan, God's control. And we see this truth in Daniel. Everything that happens, God allows it. He's either behind it directly or it's just happening because of the evil that he is still allowing to go uh, until Jesus returns and uh, sets everything right. What's amazing is that God even uses evil, in some cases, to forward his plan. And we see this in Daniel and throughout the scriptures. Again and again, the book of Daniel presents that God is in control, this truth, from its very beginning to the end. And we've, we've studied this in different aspects. There is no luck in life. Only God's, what we could say, is providence. Now, providence. Does that bring to mind a place at all? Have you ever been to Providence, Rhode Island? Anybody here been to Providence, Rhode Island? I've been. A few of us. I mean, Rhode Island, you might drive through it. You might not even know you were there. It's so small. But yeah, Providence, Rhode Island. And there's a story behind Providence, Rhode Island. It was founded in 1636, not long after the pilgrims landed in 1620, by a renegade preacher, Roger Williams, who was forced to flee Massachusetts because of religious persecution. Isn't that crazy? Then the people that establish the colony in Massachusetts flee England because of religious persecution, and then it just, I guess, they decide to continue to do it. Uh, they're in their own way. So he, fleed, he fled there, and then Williams purchased this land from the Narragansett Native Americans, and he established a new settlement with a policy of religious and political freedom, and guess what he named his new home? Providence. Providence. And thanks to God for protecting him during his exile from Massachusetts. Well, that's, that's what the word providence means, is just divine guidance and care. God caring for us, God guiding us, that's God's providence. Another theological term that's related to providence, and this truth we see in Daniel, is God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty. Sovereignty just means supreme power and authority. I mean, God has supreme power and authority over everything. What that means is that he does not answer to anyone. Nobody and nothing has any control or rule over the Lord God. He is alone. He has supreme power and authority. He is sovereign. Everything is under God's control. We could think of that song we sing when we were little kids. He's got the whole world, right, in his hands. That's talking about his sovereignty, his control. We see this truth time and time again from the very beginning of Daniel, the book, all the way to this now in the end of the book. Ironically, if you remember, this is a quick review, the book of Daniel starts off with 
the people of Israel being defeated and then exiled to Babylon, the cream of the crop from Israel, being exiled to Babylon. And then even things from the temple, the temple of God, are taken and brought to Babylon. Think about that. The Gentile unbelievers enter the temple of the living, sovereign God and steal things and take it to their own place. How could this happen if God is sovereign in control of everything? Why would he allow something like this to happen? Well, you just go back earlier in his word, and he told the Israelites that this exact thing would happen if they kept to be unfaithful to him over and over again. He said, watch out, or this is what's going to happen. So according to God's word, it happened. He kept his word, and he used the evil empire Babylon to discipline his people Israel. Now keep this in mind. If we ever get this question that pops into our head, that if if God is in control, why is my life such a mess? Well, God works in the mess. He works through the mess. He even achieves his plans through this mess that we may think our life is, and he achieves his purposes. Now, we may have caused the mess in our life, uh, or maybe the mess is something out of our control that entered our life and now our life's a mess for some reason. But God is still in control either way. He knew. He anticipated. He he knows. And therefore, God is in control. And that's just chapter 1. And then Daniel in chapters 2 through 7, we saw are filled with these stories of God showing his sovereignty and his power in different ways through these amazing stories. Remember the writing on the wall, the lion's den, Um, the fiery furnace, all these things, the great revelation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. These are all things showing God's in control. And then when we move on, chapters 8 through 12 are filled with these dreams and visions that God gave to Daniel, with the exception of last week we looked at chapter 9, which was Daniel's prayer of confession and hope for God restoring the people of Israel. So specifically in chapters 10 through 12, and we're just hitting it uh, one portion of this last vision that Daniel was given by God um, when he was about probably 85 years old. And this vision from 10 to 12 focuses on this empire, this kingdom, the Greece of Greece, the Alexander the Great, we know now. At that point, he didn't know which uh, ruler was going to be over that kingdom. And then it goes into great detail of all the things that are happening and then what followed after. But it also includes this, these words of comfort and assurance of God's people that what was coming is a time of resurrection and rewarding for them in the times ahead. So this is the purpose God reveals these visions to his people is to give assurance and hope of deliverance. In a sense of saying, I'm in control, I'm sovereign, I know what's going to happen. Actually, I am determining the times of these things happening. So have hope, even though right now it's not good for you. (laughs) You're suffering quite a lot. And the book of Daniel is clear in communicating that God is the one in control, period. As Daniel even proclaimed early in the book, in chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, saying, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, and to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. Keep that in mind now as we just went through the election. 
right? We may not have gotten those people in office that we think we should have gotten in office. But who's in control? God, right? Even if the people we think are going to destroy this country are in office. Or, yeah, we got our person in there, so our country is going to be good. But God's in control, not these politicians. God is in control. But this here we see even means that God controls time itself. Think of that. Think of some stories in Scripture where God kind of controlled time. He, like, made a day longer. You know, he, he controls time itself. And when things occur, Daniel 12 starts in our text today. Specifically, notice how many times the word time occurs. Ready? Here we go. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, meaning Israel, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found and written in the book. I didn't read that right, did I? Your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Meaning those who are written in the book, they will be delivered. So God is totally in control of the events of all things. That includes the events of your life, the disappointments, the joys, the winning of the lottery. <laughs> if you play the lottery, I don't play the lottery because I'm never going to win. But unless God somehow worked that out, I guess. It's going to be a miracle because I don't play if I won. Yeah. That is why history, right, we call history his story because he's in control of it. He is in control of everything. And this is why we can absolutely trust that God's timing is always perfect. Do you believe that? We may not feel it. I don't feel it <laughs> a lot of times. God, this really is not good timing. <laughs> but it is always perfect because he's in control. Do we really believe that? It's common for us to think that we have control of time, not God. How is this so? Well, for example... Last week, what did our nation do? We turned our clocks back one hour, right? <laughs> we think we, by controlling time in the attempt to save energy or save daylight, we say, so that we lower our power usage as a country. Of course, it ended uh, last week. But that's how we're trying to control time. But if you talk to any parent of very young children or people who work with animals, we can't control the way their internal clocks are. Their clocks are still the same, even though we might have controlled the, the actual clock and turned it back an hour. No, their clocks are still the same. So it's kind of a mess for a while uh, with them. We can't control time. Or I've, uh, another example is when I've had people say to me, Pastor, I, I just want to just take some time in my life to just do what I want before I have to settle down and you know, get responsible and stuff. Well, there's an assumption there that they control the timeline of their own life, right? Not God. And so they're going to just do what they want and then later become responsible in some way, whatever that means for them. Like they call the shots rather than the Lord God. You know, Daniel 12.1 mentions this figure, Michael, right? We, we heard that when I, we read it earlier. Michael, this great prince who's in charge of his people, Israel. And we know that Michael is an angel of the Lord because he's mentioned two other times in Daniel. He's mentioned once in the book of Jude in the New Testament and also once in the book of Revelation. 
and he's mentioned as an angel. But the assurance that God is relating to bringing up, Dan, uh, not Daniel, Michael here, is that God is watching over his people during this time, as is mentioned in chapter 12, of this great distress. It's never been, it's like unprecedented distress that's going to be happening. But Michael is representing the people of Israel and watching over them to help them during this time. But these times of when this is going to happen, right? You saw the 1,290 days and the 1,335 days mentioned at the end of our text today. You know, it's not clear what that specifically means. There's a lot of different theories and opinions about that if you want to get into that. But I'm not going to today. The assurance here is that God's people will not be left alone in their time of distress when, during these times ahead. Now remember that God's revelation of these visions and dreams in Daniel are meant to give us hope and assurance to us who are God's people that God is in control, period. Do we have that assurance? And that he will restore us and at that point, the nation of Israel, when his kingdom is established forever. That's the ultimate restoration. You know, this truth that God is absolutely in control was overwhelmingly comforting to me at a time in my life where I needed it greatly. It's the day my father died of a heart attack that was suddenly in November 7th, 1986. And this last Monday was the 36th year anniversary of that tragic day for me and my family. And at that time, I was just 20 years old, and the death of my father came suddenly and changed my life dramatically in so many ways. Um, it was a shake, it really shook me up. And I clearly remember the moment that I realized the truth sunk in. You know, the person was telling me, but there's always this denial at first. But when I realized my father was dead. I rushed to hold on to this truth that God was in control. Because my, my life seemed like out of control at that moment. I, I held firmly to this truth that God was in control. And I, what I found is that our greatest comfort and sorrow is knowing this truth that God is in control. Now don't get me wrong, in my time of great pain and grief, and my, I had a lot of hardship of adjusting to living with, in the absence of my father, because uh, we were pretty close at the time of his death. Um, I still, I, I could trust God, because I, real, I trusted that he was in control. Now, I didn't understand the timing of my dad's death, and I still don't today, um, but I could trust that God was in control. Actually, I almost dropped out of college at that point because I was so devastated. Uh, I, I was in my junior year of college. But now I can see from 36 years after that tragic day of all the things how God had affected me and how it changed me, especially the way it changed me, my inner way of thinking of my future. It gave me a new perspective on the future without my dad being around and what was important in life. Let's flip it to you. What is your situation in life? How do you view your life? What's going on? 
whatever it is, you can stand firm on this truth that was presented throughout Daniel, that God is in control. Your loving Father in heaven, who is merciful and gracious to you, is in control of your life and of this reality. It's not luck that rules life. It's our gracious, loving, merciful, forgiving, awesome God that is in control. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is sovereign and He is in control. And if we can stand on this solid rock and this truth, then we are firm because everything else that we want to stand and live for is all sinking sand if we don't stand firmly on this truth. God is in control. And by His grace, we also see that He is our deliverer. Listen to Daniel in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 again. Let me read these again. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall be awake. Shall wake, uh, yeah, earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Whoever's name is written in this book shall be delivered. What book is this? You got this book in your library? <laughs> I want my name in there. <laughs> what book is this? How do we get our name in this book? This is an important book, right? If our names are there, we're good. What book is this? Well, this is a reference to the book of life, which we know of from what it is mentioned in Revelations, chapter 20, verse 15 which says, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And then later in Revelations 21, 27, it says, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Only those who have their names written in this Lamb's book of life will enter into God's eternal glory that is prepared for God's people. I want my name in there. <laughs> and I know many of you, if not all of you, want your name in there as well. But what is this Lamb's book of life? Well, we know from the scriptures that Jesus is the Lamb of God. He's, he's described that way. And that's what it's referring to here, that all of us who believe in and follow and trust in the Lord Jesus will have our names written in the Lamb's book of life. Because Jesus himself is the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, he said this about himself in John 14, 6, where he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so here we see that not only in the Daniel that God will deliver his people Israel then and there, but ultimately this sense of deliverance is ongoing and always looking toward to the ultimate deliverance for his people, who are we now, his people, who believe in and follow the living God. In flesh, Jesus Christ, the deliverer. And our names will be written into the book of life. He alone, Jesus alone, is our hope and our salvation and frees us from our slavery to our own selfishness and sin because of what he did for us, not because of what we do for him. Jesus is the message and also the demonstration of God's love and truth and forgiveness. That's why he said, I, he himself, is the way, the truth, and the life. 
He himself is our hope. But those who do not trust in and follow Jesus as Lord will be, as Daniel chapter 12, verse 2 put it, raised in their shame and everlasting contempt. This is just another description of what we know and probably heard as hell. A reality, an eternal reality, where those who have chosen not to believe in and follow Jesus, in other sense, not to submit themselves to the living God, will live then in their rebellion altogether, separate from God. And that'll be hell. (laughs) Not hell on earth. It'll be hell in hell. Right now we have hell on earth in a sense because we have people who don't submit to the Lord God among people who do submit to the Lord God. And it's a mess, isn't it? <laughs> but remove God and then you've got hell. So this, this is going to be at the time of the final judgment when Jesus returns and as judge, judge the living from the dead in the sense that those who will enter into his glory and those who will not. And how will he do that? Those written in the book of life, his book of life. And so when we live by the truths that run through this book of Daniel, that God is in control, that he is delivered, that he is sovereign over all, that he puts kings in place, he takes kings down from their positions, then we will know and live with confidence in God's glory. Daniel lived, think about it, Daniel lived with great confidence in his whole time in exile. We saw it in chapter 1 when he said, no, we're not going to eat this food. He had confidence in the living God that they followed. Remember, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They said, you're going to get killed in the furnace. And what'd they say? Well, we're not going to bow down to that idol, and if you throw us in there and we die, then that'd be be so. But whatever, we we trust in the living God. He could save us, but he may not. We're still not going to bow down. They had such confidence in the sovereign living God. And look at Daniel, chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. What I take in heart from here is that even though Daniel had such great confidence in the living God and he got these visions, he didn't understand half of what they meant. Look what what it says here. I heard, but I did not understand. And then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the end of the time. Until the time of the end. Even Daniel did not understand what he was seeing in, in these visions. He needed to have them interpreted to him, if you remember, different times. But God meant for Daniel to preserve and record these visions for those of us, of God's people, later to gain wisdom from them. Because as the times get closer to the end, they will start to make some sense to us. And just like Daniel, we do not understand the events that we are part of, but we can remain faithful and trusting that God is in control and that we will be delivered ultimately. You see, this truth gives us courage. It gives us courage to live no matter what we're facing, what problems we're having raising our kids or what problems we're having at work or in relationships or whatever it is that we feel like our life is messy, out of control, but God is in control. It gives us courage to do what's right. We do not need to fear because God is in control. We have nothing to fear. When we get a job, or we want to get a job, say for a job interview we're preparing, of course we'll go and do some research, hopefully, and prepare for the interview. We'll be nervous. But we can stand in confidence during the interview that God is in control. If I get this offer or dot, it's okay. God is in control of my life. He's in control. I don't have to worry too much, or at all. 
Or say another way, we even get laid off. Or someone we love dies. Or we get a promotion at work. We get a bonus. Or we get overlooked for a promotion. Whatever it is, we can stand firm with confidence that God is in control. The same applies no matter if good things happen to us and we win the Powerball lottery or whatever, or bad things happen to us, whatever those bad things may be. I want to share a true story. This is a true story that touches on this issue of God's providence and sovereignty. I want you to listen to this story. I'm going to just be more kind of reading it to you guys. Uh, it, you may be familiar with this story. It's of Corey and Betsy Tenboom, who were courageous, compassionate Dutch Christians during the time of World War II, and they were harboring Jews uh, away from the Nazis in, in Holland. This took place in Holland. Their Jewish friends were disappearing, and they realized something's not right. So they started to harbor or hide Jews in their business, their family business. And they were later imprisoned for this uh, work that they were doing in Ravensbrück, which was a German concentration camp. And in their barracks were a series of massive square platforms stacked three levels high where they were, had scattered rotten straw over these like cement platforms uh, where they were like communal beds for hundreds of women to be packed in there. And this is a picture that it could have been like. And obviously, they didn't have heat, really, in these, these barracks where they, hundreds of women uh, would sleep. So Corey and Betsy, when they first arrived, they found that they couldn't even sit upright on their platform where they were supposed to lay down. They couldn't even sit up on it because without their head hitting the top, the platform above them. Uh, and they would lay back, and they were struggling that first night with wanting to throw up because of the rotting putrid smell of this rotting straw that they were laying on. And then suddenly, Corey, like, tried to sit up, and she hit her head again, and she was like, ah! And, and what she had felt, something bite her leg. And she was like, oh, no, fleas! Betsy, the police is swarming with them, she said. And descending from the platform, both of them, and they walked down the aisle of the, the, the platforms of beds, and they made their way to this little patch of light so they could see what was going on. And Corey was like, here, and here's another one. And Betsy, how can we live in such a place like this? And Betsy said, matter-of-factly, show us. Show us how. And it took Corey a moment to realize that her sister Betsy was actually praying. She was asking the Lord to show them how. And then Betsy exclaimed excitedly, he's given us an answer before we asked, as he always does. Do you remember in the Bible this morning? Where was it? Uh, read that part again. And so Corey checked to make sure no guards were nearby, and there wasn't any guards, and then drew from a pouch a small Bible she had managed to smuggle into the concentration camp. So she said it was in 1 Thessalonians. And finding the passage in that dim light, she said, oh, here it is. Comfort the frightened, help the weak, be patient with everyone, see that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always, pray con constantly, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Betsy interrupted. That's his answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we got to do. 
we can start right now to thank God for every single thing about this barracks. Corey stared at her incredulously. Then around in the dark, this foul-smelling room, she was looking, and she asked Betsy, like, such as, what are we going to give thanks for? Well, such as being assigned here together. And Corey bit her lip and said, oh, yeah, that's true. We were together. That's good. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And then Betsy said, such as what you're holding in your hand. And Corey looked down at the Bible and said, yes, that's right. Thank you, Jesus. That was that there was no inspection at the time where we came into this barracks. They didn't inspect us, and so I was able to smuggle this Bible in. And for all the women here in this room who will meet you in these pages, yes, Betsy agreed. And thank you for, every, for the very crowding here. Since we are packed so close, many more will hear whenever we talk about the Bible. And she looked at her sister expectantly and prodded, Corey, right? We can thank God for that. And Corey was like, uh, yeah, okay, um, so we are going to thank you, Lord, for the jammed, crammed, stuffed, packed, suffocating crowds. Okay, thank you. And then Betsy continued serenely saying, and thank you, Lord, for the fleas. And, and then Corey cut her off and said, Betsy, there's no way even God can make me grateful for fleas. No. Give thanks in all circumstances, Betsy corrected. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are a part of this place where God has put us. So they stood there between these stacks of bunks and gave thanks for the fleas. Though on that occasion, Corey thought Betsy was surely wrong to thank God for the fleas. Well, as weeks passed, Betsy's health weakened to the, to the point that rather than needing to go out on these work duties each day, she was permitted to remain in the barracks and knit socks together with these other seriously ill patients. Um, not patients, prisoners, sorry. <laughs> she was lightning fast knitter and usually had her daily sock quota completely completed by noon. So as a result, she had hours each day she could spend moving from platform to platform, reading the Bible to fellow prisoners. She was able to do this undetected as the guards never seemed to venture far into their barracks. And then one evening, when Corey arrived back at the barracks after her workday, Betsy's eyes were twinkling. And Corey said, you're looking extraordinarily pleased with yourself today. And Betsy said, you know, we've never understood why we had so much freedom in this big room, which she was referring to this part of the barracks between them where there was a lot of space, kind of like that, this picture we see up there. And well, I found out today, this afternoon, there was confusion in my knitting group about sock sizes, so we asked the supervisor to come and settle it. But she wouldn't. She wouldn't even step through the door, and neither would the guards. And you know why? Betsy could not keep the triumph in her voice as she exclaimed, it's because of the fleas. That's what she said. The place is crawling with fleas. We're not going to go in there. You take care of it yourself. Figure it out. We're not, we're not stepping in there. And you see... God used this fleas to keep these suffering women, these prisoners in this concentration camp from further abuse of the male guards and further abuse from whatever kind of violence that they would experience. I share this story, Cornerstone, with you because we can live life with confidence because no matter what we're experiencing, no matter how horrible it is, we can stand firm on the truth that God is in control. 
that he is using and working through all the messy things in life. And we see this in Daniel over and over again. And we see this throughout Scripture. And God even proclaims it in Isaiah 45, 7, saying, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. So breaking news. Do not panic. Relax. Because God is in control. I love these words that we sang earlier from taken from this song, Oceans. Listen to them again. And listen to the confidence that's there in these words of how we desire to live with confidence for the Lord God. Where, my, where feet may fail and fear surrounds me, you've never failed and you won't start now. So I will call upon your name and keep my eyes above the waves. When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace. For I am yours and you are mine. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters where you would call, wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. And my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. You remember that story there? Peter walking on the water. And he went out there with confidence because Jesus called him. And then he took his eyes off, right? And sank. That's what it's referring to there. We can live with confidence knowing that God is in control still instills with us a courage to live with this confidence and courage for Christ no matter what we face. So always remember, especially looking at the cross, that God was in control when it all seemed lost. And so God is in control when all seems lost for you too. Let's pray. Father, Many times we confess that we fail in having this confidence and trust that you are in control, that you're working your will and your way, and some, somehow through such terrible things we see happening in this world all over. We think of what the Ukrainians are facing and experiencing in so many levels by the attack of the Russians. We think of what is happening in so many different places in Africa, South America, in Asia, in Europe, and in the United States. Lord, this, this world needs hope, and we know that the only hope that they have is what you have offered in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we pray that we would stand firm on this solid ground that you, Lord, our Lord, and that you're in control, and we can trust you. Simple truth, Lord, we know, but profound in living it out. So enable us by the power of your spirit that dwells within us by faith in Jesus Christ, and in whose name we pray, amen.